0: are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you, Lindy. It's awesome. Appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. It's great living with a woman on fire for God, and she's the perfect one to lead the over 50 fire, and it's so exciting to have dreams. And so I want to talk about a wedding today. My uh, youngest son just got married a week ago Saturday, a real small family gathering. And um, it's a page turner when your last child gets married. And so I've been thinking about weddings a lot lately. And I've been seeing in the scripture a lot about a wedding. And I think if we grew up, in the Jewish culture, we would understand how much of Scripture is tied to wedding. So I want to bring that to you. There's some rich nuggets in there for all of us. And so in Genesis 24, there, and I'm going to helicopter to a lot of verses. So I hope, hope you either have a Bible. I hope you um, can look at it on your Bible app or you can make a note. But we're going to just stay with us because we're going to touch a lot of Scripture today. So in Genesis 24, this, um, this is a beautiful chapter. I was doing what Lauren was talking about on a Saturday morning, just taking time reading this scripture. And this is about Abraham. And Abraham, is you, you remember, he married late in life. So he's getting older, and his son Isaac didn't have a bride. And in the Jewish culture, the father was a big part of that process. And the father in Genesis 24 is talking to his right-hand person, his CEO. You remember, Abraham was possibly the wealthiest person on the planet. His CEO was in charge of his company. Abraham and all his stuff, LLC, was the name of his company. His CEO, Eleazar, and he brought Eleazar in, his oldest and wisest servant, and he, he made him swear and they'd put their hand on the thigh. That was sort of a, he'd swear, I don't want a wife taken from my son from the people we're living in with the Canaanites. I want you to go back to our home country and find her. And in this story, he goes, and he goes as a wealthy man with 10 camels. He goes with gold. He goes with stuff. And he goes with a plan. I'm going to find this beautiful young lady, and she's going to... I'm going to have a supernatural fleece. I'm going to ask her for water. She's going to get it. And then I want her to come to me and say, let me draw water for your 10 camels. It's a pretty good fleece. That's a lot of work in the heat of the day for a young teenage girl to grab enough water. You know, they're not drinking six ounce little Dasani cups. Those uh, camels, are. you know, it's work. And that was the fleece. And Eleazar represents the Holy Spirit in this story. Abraham represents the father. The father was very interested in who would be chosen to be the bride of his son. The Holy Spirit went out as a humble messenger. This is one of the most important assignments of my life to find this young lady. He represents the Holy Spirit. And Rebecca, this young girl, just doing her duty, going above and beyond the service, going beyond where she'd be called. One of the family traits of this house is that sometimes you find your destiny in serving others. And this young girl, going the extra mile, found her destiny, and she did exactly what we talked about and then Lazar began to give her rings and golden bracelets and he began to recount the story and he recounted the story Rebecca was chosen but interestingly she also had a choice because Rebecca got to say yes or no you know for for thousands if not Hundreds of years, I should say, we've been arguing in the church about predestination and Calvinism versus Arminianism, whether you're, you know, God has chosen you and he is totally sovereign, or is there a place for man's free will? Hidden in the story, I'd submit to you as a nugget, she was chosen. The father was really involved in who would become the bride but she also had a choice. She could say yes or no. And there was an invitation to a family. There was an invitation to intimacy. There was an invitation to become known, to be blessed. There was an invitation. This thing called wedding, when a young lady becomes married, she's actually being adopted into a family. She's taking on a family name. She is taking on an inheritance. Instantly, she gets an inheritance. Instantly, she gets, becomes part of the family. Instantly, she belongs. If we could pull up a picture. Um, this, is, uh, this is my young son, youngest son, Joshua Michael Hale, and our newest member of our family, Abby Francis Hale. And um, I know it's bright out here. It's hard to see. But they're like a beautiful couple, and I, can, I want you to imagine she's Rebecca, and he's Isaac. I want you to imagine that there's this call for intimacy, and I want you to imagine your salvation experience in the wedding. And mine wasn't that different. At age 17, unchurched, just showing up at some hippie church in Colorado Springs next to Palmer High School. No one invited me. There's no sign on the door. There's just this little dove and this word shalom. I didn't know what any of it was. I was drawn to this place. And every Sunday night, I would go and a bunch of hippies at the tail end of the Jesus movement, and the Holy Spirit would fall, and I'd leave with tears in my eyes. God was wooing me by the Holy Spirit. The Eleazar the holy spirit was the father was going out to you you chosen to be part of his bride and he was wooing you he was coming with gifts he was inviting you into intimacy into relationship this is your salvation experience you you were invited in So I'm going to say, we sang songs about waking up church. Every song we sang is embedded in this message. So I, want, I say, church, reach in. It's coming. It's for us today. There's something for us today. When that, when that call to salvation to you, I want you to imagine the Father chose you. He sent the Holy Spirit, he brought gifts, and he wooed you, and he said, I want you to join. You in that moment, and in this story, were Rebecca. And Rebecca had a choice to say yes. And if there's someone who has not said yes yet, or there's someone listening, I would say this is the call. You're being invited into intimacy. You're being invited into a family. You're not being invited to join a church, a movement. You're not invited to a clause. You're invited to a relationship with a person. He came to us as a way there was repentance because of his kindness. His kindness leads us into repentance and what I heard when I was 17 was a draw into a relationship. Not a lifestyle, not a church, not to follow a person. And it's, that's what is happening. And if you've ever said no to that, it would be you like Rebecca saying no to this beautiful offer of a story. And so Jesus and the wedding are really all throughout story, the story. And so, when the wedding happened in Jewish culture, the, the, they would go seek out a young lady and she would have a choice. And then there would be a price. And so, with Rebecca, there were 10 camels worth of stuff. There was a negotiated price. Now, you could say ladies were being purchased I look at it like what great value they were showing. The father cared. This was one of the most important decisions of their family's life. They were bringing someone in. They were giving great wealth. They were saying, we want you to join our family. I think it showed uh, great value in how God thinks. God is one of the greatest liberators of women. Jesus was a liberator of women. Western culture has been affected by Christianity and has been a great part of liberating women. There was this great price paid in the marriage of the Lamb. We sang a new song today The Spirit and the Bride Say Come. There's something inside of us that is part of this analogy of being part of the bride. So, men, you know, if you're a July 4th, good old red, white, and blue American man, totally heterosexual, you're having a problem with the idea of Jesus being the bridegroom and you're the bride. If you get over it and work through it, there's a pot of gold at the end of this spiritual truth. Ladies, we call you sons of God. If you'll get over it, there's a pot of gold at the end of that truth. So the story of a bride. When Jesus In John chapter 3, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Remember, John the Baptist heralded Jesus' ministry. And John said, there's just this line, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. That's a position in the Jewish culture. He said, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. When Jesus did the communion, we took the communion today, when Jesus took the communion cup in a Jewish wedding, when they betrothed, when there was an agreement, this price is good, we're, we're engaged, they drank wine. Jesus, that communion cup, yes, it has all kinds of meaning, but one of the meanings is he is coming for a bride, and there's a betrothal going on. In the Jewish culture, in the Jewish wedding, the, the hus- the, they would... Um, the bride and the groom, before they consummated their marriage, they would immerse themselves in water. It was a cleansing ritual. Jesus' baptism. You ever wonder, why did Jesus need to be baptized? He was sinless. Part of the baptism ritual was that was what was part of a wedding ceremony in the Jewish culture. And so there was a price. There's betrothal. There's baptism. And then... And then Jesus, remember when he was leaving, he said, I'm going to to my father to prepare a place. Remember that verse? And And so that verse is a wedding verse again. In the Jewish culture, when the lady said yes, the groom went home. The man went home to be with his dad, and they began building a house attached to dad's home. Now... You can think about the trust it must have taken for Rebecca to say yes. She's not just marrying a man she hasn't quite seen. She's marrying a mother-in-law she hasn't seen. She's marrying into a house she hasn't seen. And, And so what God was doing here was the man would go back and prepare the house. And it would generally take about a year. Now, I would, um, if it were me, when I was 22 and wanting to marry Lindy, and I'm engaged, I can't wait for the wedding night. And so, if, you know, in nature, I would just throw a bunch of boards together and call it a house, like, let's go. Like, a, hey, we're going to do a little two-by-four, some shiplap, and say, hey, 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 let's go. But in the Jewish culture, the dad was the one who said, I'll tell you when it's ready. It's pretty practical. Like the dad doesn't want a bunch of junk on his nice house. There's a standard of excellence happening. Remember when Jesus was asked, when when will you return? He said, I don't know. Only the father knows. That's a wedding reference. Only the father knows. And in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish wedding, when the house was ready when everything was ready the father would said let's go and the and the young man with his groomsmen and his best man and the friend of the bridegroom that being john the baptist they would go and they would light a torch and it would usually be at night the the bride to be didn't ha- did, she didn't know what day it was going to come she knew kind of when it was coming she did she had to remain ready she had to she had to keep preparing she had to keep working on her skills she had to keep intent she had to keep leaning in. She did not know and they would come with their torches. July 4th torches and fireworks. So you know the grooms would be like Donny Park, Donnie Barber and it would be like Jason they'd be having their fireworks going. It's coming with a broom it's coming with a shout. it's coming with fireworks and that's sort of helping the bride know, oh she, he's coming. They're giving him a little bit of notice but not much. And the bridesmaids are having to get ready. And that whole procession comes back to the house. That whole procession. And they go in to this bridal chamber. And they consummate the wedding. And they're there seven days. That's called pent-up demand in business scales. So seven days. And they're having a party. She's coming in with a veiled face. She's coming out with an unveiled face. They're called to be ready. And so, where are we? We're we're part of that bridesmaid. We're part of that bride that's in waiting right now, spiritually, on the spiritual timeline of way back then, he knew us before the foundation of the world, and way up here, we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're past the cross, but right here, we're waiting. We're waiting on a groom. Amen? So are we ready? That's the question. Are we ready? Because you are being formed into the bride of Christ. Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is uh, one of the top ten scary chapters in the Bible. And one of my kids said to me, Dad, I I think you've got more than 10 top 10 scary verses in the Bible. I've heard about 20. But you know, it's part of our job to not just preach the easy, fluffy verses. It's part of our job to preach the hard verses. It's part of our job to preach verses we may not totally understand. But if you spend... I'd, I'd love for your homework assignment to read Genesis 24... That's the first book of the Bible, chapter 24. Matthew 25, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 25. The wise, the, when Jesus was asked, when are you coming back? He said, let me tell you a story about ten virgins. I come into this, I come into this passage with the fear of the Lord. With no, um, I come in with it with humility. Like, I don't know exactly where I might stand. I don't want to presume I'm in the five wise virgins. The five wise virgins, if you remember when the trumpet came and when the broom was coming and everything was happening they started to get ready. And they started to get, go get their lamps and they were trimming their lamps and they were starting a fire. It's happening at night. They were creating lamps for light and five of the virgins had oil and five did not have oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Oil was their preparation. And five had oil, five did not. The five that didn't said, hey, give us some of your oil. And they said No. In the church, we'd say, they're not being very pastoral. They're not being very much like Jesus. They're not being very loving. I would submit to you that the the intimacy you have with the Lord and the Holy Spirit is something you can't give away. That they were prepared. They were waiting. They only had enough for them, and they didn't share. And what's scary about that verse is the five that had no oil didn't just get left out. But the Lord, uh, you know, they were were banished. And then the next part of 25 is people taking five talents. How did you handle them? This is when Jesus was asked, what's happening on your return? And he said, it's the kingdom is like five talents and one person turned them into ten. Three talents, he turned it into six and one buried it and nothing grew. Scary verse. He didn't go spend it on wild women in song. He just buried it. He didn't go steal it. He just buried it. And I find that a, uh, and he was banished into outer darkness. So Jesus in this chapter is talking about heaven and hell and that's a word we don't talk about much in the church. We need to talk. Jesus spoke about hell more than all the disciples put together. He talked about it more often than a lot of subjects. And it's really clear. So I come into this chapter with humility and fear of the Lord. And I describe fear of the Lord as an arising of awe and wonder And a sense of reverence. Not I'm afraid, but a sense of reverence, a sense of awe, a sense of wonder. There's been a drop in the fear of the Lord in our culture, big time. You'll read on the internet, just anybody, a self-proclaimed person who's supposed to be an apologist for the church, trashing leaders. Leaders that I personally know and know have incredible integrity. And I read it like, what are you doing? Do you have no fear of the Lord? It's a sad day. But we come into the, we come into the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, with humility and a fear of the Lord. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, Lindy loves, Lindy's been just consuming the Song of Songs. But in chapter 2, it says, remove the foxes that would distract you. It's not saying he's going to do it. He's saying, you do it. And read, if you would, 1 Peter one twenty two with me. We're going to see how face ID works here. <clears throat> 1 Peter one twenty two. Really interesting verse that is not a a super common verse. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. For a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. Did you catch that? difference there. You purify your souls, your souls, your mind, your will, your emotions. You purify your souls. The righteous ones purify their souls. They allow themselves, their bodies to be open, to be unpurified. He says, but you have been born of a seed that's imperishable. That part of your salvation, that is the seed that we sang about, the Holy Spirit part of us, that part of a Ephesians 3, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, when you get born again, that's a seed of the imperishable Holy Spirit. That's not, there's nothing tainted about that. There's nothing that's broken about that. There's nothing that needs to be growing about that. There's no 10-day free look. There's no prenup. You're in. Have you ever wondered, you read these scriptures that say, It's done, and then you read some scriptures that says it's not done. The difference is it's done in the imperishable seed, the Holy Spirit, what he's done. But there's some work to do in your soul. We get to purify our souls. We get to flee youthful lusts. We have a responsibility. And in the Bible, one of the other top 10 scary verses in the Bible, number 47 in my top 10 scary verses in the Bible, be holy as I am holy. That's the worst one. (laughs) Be holy. As I am holy. One thing we have in common, humanity, every one of us has in common, is all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think I might get everyone on the planet to agree to one thing. And that would be it. And then so God comes in and says, Listen, you be holy as I'm holy. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that because I feel like I have some form of sin every day, maybe every hour, some thought, some impatience, some thing. Amen? This is the challenge of our Christianity these amazing promises. And yet, we're like, I've been in this thing 45 years, and I'm not holy yet. Be holy as I am holy. It's, call, it's actually impossible inside ourselves. It's impossible. So I'm held to a responsibility of something that's impossible for me to do alone. Bummer. But it's in the word of God. And he's not a man that he would lie. He is not a masochist that he would call me to do something that was impossible. So what am I missing, God? By his grace, by Christ in me, the hope of glory, by the Holy Spirit, that imperishable seed that's inside of me, it can happen. If I'll I'll do the soul work, he'll do his work. Am I a bride that's on, am I that bridesmaid on the edge of my seat waiting for the Father to come, waiting for the Son to come, I should say? I want us to be honest with ourselves. In that verse, Jesus made the correlation, you purified your souls, 1 Peter 1.22, but there is an imperishable perfect seed in you. It's right there. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, you know the, where Jesus goes into the temple and they are, they're, all, they're all managing money and selling stuff and trinkets and all this stuff. They're commercializing the temple. And Jesus runs in and begins to rip over the tables Milk and mild Jesus throwing tables around. Jen preached on this passage in the um, intensive. You know we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual significance of that—that was a physical thing that happened. What's the spiritual thing happening? That he wants to go inside our temples and throw away anything that's mixture. Bobby Connor, if you will bring a people who are without mixture, I'll bring the spirit without measure. I'll bring the revival you're talking about. I'll bring that fire 200 feet. I'll bring people coming down 74 from the highway. Wait a minute. I'll bring your city. You'll become that Isaiah 61 people, rocks of righteousness. You'll become the rainers in life that restore cities. But if you'll bring a people that were without mixture, I will touch you, full spirit, without measure. Jesus cleansed the temple. And the final... uh, I've got some negative motivations why we should get there, and I've got some positive motivations. Last one of the negative motivations. Revelation 3, 15. That's the call where the Spirit is talking. Where God. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a bunch of revelations. It's the singular revelation of Jesus Christ, and he's speaking to the angel over the city of Laodicea. And he said, don't be lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm Christianity is no fun. I will raise my hand, I've been there. It's no fun. And it ends up in a bad place. So we are, there's great reasons. So we're the bride, and are we waiting? It's so easy to get stuck. We've been waiting for a few thousand years. You think this building project's going long? We've been waiting for 2,000 years. How's your waiting? It's easy to get discouraged. I see people in the church who are discouraged. They're weary. They're tired. Some people get picked off. They become offended. They become hurt. Some people medicate their pain with... Addictions with alcohol, drugs, with entertainment, with porn, they get picked off. Some people get trapped in sin. And some people just get distracted with the good. The good is the enemy of the best. Business just explodes and I'm, I'm just distracted. I'm doing good things. I'm, I'm just all family. It's good things. It's easy to get stuck. If you've never been stuck, I would just tell you, stick around. <laughs> you might get stuck. John Donaldson coined that line with me. If you've never been stuck, stick around. In fact, I, was, um, I got stuck earlier this year. Kind of the first time in my walk with the Lord since I've been 17. I got kind of stuck. I was on a sabbatical, as you know, for three or four months and I got stuck. I got offended. It wasn't this mountaintop experience. It was a look back at your life, and God, why'd you have me go down this path? I don't get it. I don't really like it. This was expensive. This cost me friends. This cost me reputation. This cost me business success. This cost me a lot, and I don't see the fruit, and I'm not really happy about it. And I've never allowed myself to be that David in Psalms who was really honest with the Lord. There's something going on in our church. I think God is doing something wonderful, like being more transparent, more honest, more real, more be okay with the pastor confessing his sin. And I I honestly got to a place where I didn't, you know, I I was just frustrated. I wasn't frustrated with you guys. I feel like y'all are the greatest church in the world. Like, y'all are hungry. Y'all are going after God. Y'all are honoring. Y'all are generous. Like, y'all are easy to lead. This isn't about you. This is about me. I got stuck. And I... I I was considering, like, I don't know if I'll go back to church again. You know, one of the problems with our faith in the Lord when it gets deeply rooted, like, there's nowhere else to go. (laughs) I mean, where else are you going to go? When you really know the Lord, like, what is there? I mean, you're stuck. It's like being married to someone as wonderful as Lindy. Like, you can get stuck once in a while in our marriage, but, like, there's nowhere else to go. How do you get unstuck? How do you get unoffended? How do you get, break out of your sin, out of that habit, out of that, because the enemy is like a roaring lion coming to steal, kill and destroy. It's okay, it's understandable why some people can get stuck. You're a broken person, born in a broken world, and raised by broken parents. Like, it's not really a good combination. It's amazing we're all here, not killing each other, if you think about it. You get unstuck by staying around believers and friends praying for you. You get unstuck by going to counseling or... For me, I, I would credit some for, to our worship team and, and uh, Vanessa. I felt like the Lord said that optimism and that purity has an anointing that can break chains. And Jen preaching a message, he said, that optimism and that purity has an anointing that can break chains. And I was worshiping right there a month ago or so, and the presence can do some wonderful things, can it not? We want to be a church that's preeminently about His presence, that's extravagant in worship, a people that will hear His voice and immediately run and obey. That's who we are as a family. And there I, I, somehow, in the anointing of His presence and worship, my stuff and my argument became smaller and petty. And Jesus, his sacrifice, his love, the cross, his love became bigger, much bigger than my petty offense. And as we were singing, I give it all, Lord, as corny as it sounds. It's not corny when the Holy Spirit's on you. I Put it down again at the foot of the cross. My buddy Donaldson also said, you know, what happens at the cross stays at the cross. It's kind of like Las Vegas. So, so it needs to stay at the cross. And somehow in that, tra- I'm, I am pro-counselor, I am pro-sozo, I've had three sozos, I'm pro-anything that helps you. I'm pro-doctors, they help you go. I'm pro-anything sets you free. But in the anointing, a lot can happen. And under the anointed, preaching the gospel, breakthrough can happen. How do you get stuck? If you're in sin, you confess your sin because he is faithful and just to forgive you for your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're addicted, you just get help. You confess it, and then you get a brother. You get a sister, and you walk through this thing. You can get free. He's the chain breaker. He's the freedom maker. He died on a cross to set you and I free. That's who the gospel is. We preach the powerful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a social thing. So are you waiting? What's your position as you're waiting? And I was stuck, and I'm so grateful for the prayers of my friends. What are the positive things about being the bride? What are you waiting for? Is it worth waiting for? What are we waiting for? Turn with me Romans 8:29. Feel the presence of God just kind of settling, do you? Come Holy Spirit. Speak to each heart. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. When you read something amazing, I'm just trying to stop. Like, stop! This fabulous statement right there. You're either crazy or you're in the club. Those, put your name in there, Susan. He foreknew you. He predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son. If you believe that, you're part of the brethren, you're part of the family. The Son of the Spirit of the living God is residing in you as we sang about this morning so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you know what that means? Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you know how fantastic that is, that he's calling you up to a destiny that's like a brother or sister of Christ? It's fantastic. Either believe it or not. Live it or don't. I'm preaching to myself here. For those whom he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Is it worth waiting? Your destiny is to be glorified. Called, justified, predestined. He's brought you into this place to be glorified, to become in the image of his son. I don't know what, in this this marriage analogy, all through scripture, it's not a subtle thing. It's everywhere. You've got to be blind to miss it. And at the end day, when the bride and the groom come and they come together in union, I don't know what that looks like in the spiritual realm. I don't know what that looks like when the bride reaches Jesus Christ. But I think it's going to be good. It, I believe as I get, keep dwelling on it, what will it be? But it could have something to do with us being conformed to the image of his son and being brothers and sisters with Christ, being sons and daughters of the living God. I don't know what that looks like, but it sounds good. I don't know what the bride of Christ with Jesus Christ in union looks like, but it sounds good. We're we're being called to put on a new mind and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. A very common verse, Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove the will of God, that good and acceptable will of God. You know, your mind is being renewed when the impossible looks possible. When these big sermons, start to sound possible, your mind is being renewed. When you think the guy up there is crazy as a bat, your mind is not yet renewed. You know, when you hear someone has cancer and you cower in fear, or if there's something that says, God, you're the healer, do it again. I've seen it before. When your mind is being renewed, the impossible looks possible. But just take a pause. I, we've, I've been asking the Lord since COVID started. I said, Lord, I want none of my family. I don't want none of our church staff. I want none of the people that call Bethel their home to die of COVID. And I want none of my clients. I have a life insurance practice with Thousands, several thousand clients. This Lord, this is the realm I have faith in. This is the realm of responsibility I have some influence over. And we just have to circle the wagon and say, no. And to the best of my knowledge, no one has died in that circle. And I'm very grateful. But we have one of our own who has received a really critical diagnosis Will Douglas, you know, Will Larley. Will is a passionate, he's an over 50 fire kind of guy. Will and Laura, they carry the presence of God. He's the guy that will will shout out, you know. We're up here, we like feedback. Will would be giving me feedback today, and I would be appreciating it. Will's a white guy, but he's like a black church, you know. He's kind of come on, man. We like that. Will's the bubble guy. Everybody said, yeah. Where two or more gathered, I'm in their midst. So I want us to pray for a few minutes for Will to be healed. So just extend your hands to the camera. Lord Jesus, we say heal every cell in Will's body. Heal him, God. You've healed cancer here multiple times before. We say healing. Healing to your lungs. Healing to your brain. Healing to your back. Every cell and fiber in your body be healed in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Amen. Keep Will in your prayers. He's doing better. He's doing better. Your mind is being renewed. And we're going to end here in a few minutes. Revelation 22. Is it worth waiting for? Are you a bride that's on the edge of your seat? Are you distract are you a bride that's a bride to be that's distracted? You know if I if I was in a Jewish culture and I had expressed an engagement to Lindy and I'd given gifts and we had betrothed and we had had the wine and we had had the cup and we had made the statements about our marriage and, we had, and I had gone home to my father's house to begin building and I'm building every day. If she was just off with her girlfriends all the time or she was texting other guys, a bunch of yahoo's out there, I'd be frustrated. I'd be a jealous husband-to-be. The Spirit and the Bride Are coming, And the Lord has been convicting me personally lately. Are you on the edge of your seat for my coming? Are you leaning in to the things that really matter? In Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I just pray we are a people that cry out, come, the spirit that is within me, that testifies with my own spirit, that part of me that is the bride of Christ. I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. I've been ransomed from the fall. I've been ransomed to a call. I've been ransomed by the one who knows my name. I say, wake up and let these bones come alive like we sang today. And The king resides in our songs. And the spirit of the Lord says, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. He's saying, get rid of the foxes that are in your life. Lay down the baggage. You've been walking with baggage Hear the dream of the prophets to say, clean up the church and you'll take your city. It's for us, but it's for the church world, worldwide and citywide. Clean up the church, I'll take your city. If you'll live a life without mixture, I will pour out my blessings on you and my power and my spirit on you without measure. The spirit of the bride say, come. Come. And I say, come, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to walk into the call that you've had for us. Give the people in hearing my word today the grace to lay down, the grace to confess their sin, the grace to lay down that addiction. And those that have been saying no to Eleazar, the Holy Spirit that's saying, come, come, come. And you've been saying no, you become the Rebecca that says yes the spirit of the bride, say, come. And all the people said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.